punting with 20 seconds left at midfield on fourth and third. It's uh, it's just so cowardly. I'm sorry. It's just it's un- yeah. unforgivably cowardly. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. Week one is in the books. It was exciting for two of us and a bit disheartening for Tonight we got Connor here, we've got uh, Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Uh, not much. I was up in uh, Athlone for the weekend for the niece's birthdays and stuff. Um, they are four and the twins are two, so they're just... Bundles of chaos, uh, <laughs> which is fun. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't seen them in Jesus. It might be February. Mm. So, uh, yeah, no, it's good to see them. No, that's yeah, nice. I, I think children are good at a distance and occasionally, but I wouldn't want to have one in my house. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Busy up uh, with the cat, you know. I was going to exactly, say, exactly. I was going to say, it was the last time you saw them when you had to bring the cat up there because you were getting your bathroom done. I think that was it. Yeah, we, we we tried to work it out, and I think that's when it was. <laughs> Very good. Um, which is fun. Excellent. What about yourself? It's any crack? No, actually, been pretty quiet to be honest. Got uh, to watch some Red Zone, so I'm happy with that. And apparently, we changed our TV package recently, and Red Zone's on that now. So that turned out to be really convenient because the streams this year aren't quite up to the same quality that I'm used to. All of the <laughs> legal streams, I mean, of course. Oh, the definitely legal above board streams that you use. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I love them. Went down to the uh, went down to the woolshed and watched uh, with a bunch of the lads. We had a uh, good crack now. Uh, nice, nice mix of games. Uh, shout out to the to the very friendly chap in the uh, TJ Watt jersey that uh, we were watching the the um, the the overtime Pittsburgh Cincinnati game with, who I honestly think might have had three or four heart attacks during that period. Um, but yeah, love you, chap. Um, I suppose. We should just get straight into the news because we've had a lot to get through. So we want to obviously do our news. Uh, just a refresher, then we do our game reviews. We look over the ones from last week and kind of review some of the bits and pieces. And then we'll go and look at the games for next week. And if we have time, we'll take a question from the listeners as well. Um, so we'll kick off here. And uh, great, there's no crime and punishment this week. Uh, I suppose we'll probably just expect a bumper one down the line. Uh, extensions are probably where we'll start here. Um, it's kind of tight ends time to get paid it would appear las vegas extend tight end darren waller three years 51 million buffalo tight end dawson knox gets a four-year 52 million dollar contract and uh, new orleans lockdown their center eric mccoy five years 64 million so these seem like relatively smart signings darren waller wasn't really as good last year as he had been the year previously but they obviously expect him to bounce back they want him as part of that offense and now with Devontae adams there kind of taking a bit more of the deep stuff they want waller to kind of do his crossing stuff i'm guessing uh like it makes sense if they believe in their um offensive vision that they have in place to to go with this i presume yeah i mean the the raiders are i mean they're trying to build something and uh well we we can talk about how successful that process is going to be with some of the players that they have but uh offensively and certainly in the skill positions is where the strengths are i think i talked about this in the previews that they they have in terms of the 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 kind of the wide receiver core and the tight ends and the running backs they've they've got a very good kind of uh foundation to build around and waller is is a big part of that He, he was he's he was better and more important maybe two years ago than he is now. I think he is decreasing in quality as, as um, time goes on here. But he's he's a valuable part, and if he can play his, play 
his part. Um, the Raiders, I think, uh, I mean, getting again, get into this in the game where Carr is going to need to spread the ball around a bit more, and someone like Waller is a big part of that. And obviously, tight ends are such a huge part, uh, pass catching tight ends are such a huge part of the game these days, anyway. So it's, it's a good bit of business all around. Um, that he gets paid and they, they get the guy that they want to keep. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But definitely the Raiders are, there's intent there, whether it ever ends up into anything meaningful, we'll have to see as the season goes on. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo also want to keep their tight end uh, in there, Dawson Knox. He's got a four-year $52 million deal, so a little bit below Waller. Uh, do you think this is good business, Fitz? I think he has a good relationship with Josh Allen. He seems to be beloved by the fans and the people in the locker room. So I think, is he the most productive tight end in the league? No, but the APY reflects that, right? Like he's going in the kind of, you know, in between, like around David and Joku type money and Johnny Smith type money. So if you compare him to those guys, this doesn't seem like bad value. And for a guy that Josh Allen trusts as kind of maybe his uh, third or fourth weapon, it seems like a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, and New Orleans obviously keeping the money going into the center there. Uh, like, yeah, they, they're not paying too much a quarterback. They may as well lock down and pay a couple of these positions, particularly if they think that they might have to do a bit more of, a, say, a, a deep dive in future years to find their, their future quarterback. It's always good to have a center locked in place to, to, to hand the ball off to them. So that seems like a smart bit of business. Uh, we'll look at the injuries as well. So we had a couple of big ones uh, this week. Dallas quarterback Dak Prescott has injured his thumb. He's going to require surgery on it and is going to be out for four to eight weeks. Uh, Conor McGovern, their offensive lineman, also has a high ankle sprain. He's gone for two to four weeks. And Jermaine Curse has his MCL injury and he's going to be gone for two to four weeks. This is kind of exactly the opposite of what Dallas would like to have seen. Um, the very eternally classy Dallas fans were booing Dak Prescott as he was being taken off the field with this injury. Um, they don't really have great it's cooper rush isn't it is the backup there like they don't have they don't have a strong backup quarterback to take over like i suppose they're going to hope that their defense can stand up a little bit more and that their run game can keep them going but like we've talked already but they already have some offensive line woes and they've lost another one here like this is not looking well for dallas no their season is done it's it's kind of it's amazing unless they get someone unless they manage to you know, Jimmy G, Jimmy G, or some some sort of miracle kind of acquisition. The so much of this team's offense is based upon the quality of Dak Prescott. They don't really, they can't afford to have a, a nobody QB, um, a uh, starting for them. And yeah, with all the problems they have in the rest of this team, this is going to be a very big, difficult thing to come back from. Um, now, I mean, it's Jerry Jones, so he might get desperate. I mean, he doesn't like giving up on seasons this early. Um, the Cowboys don't quit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So maybe he'll try and do something. But this is, yeah, this this is the worst. This is literally the worst case scenario. If you ask Jerry Jones walking in to the stadium uh, on week one, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? He'd be like, Dak Prescott gets injured for half the season, uh, or well, worse would be Dak Prescott get injured for the entire season, but half the season is enough to, to wipe them out. So this is this is really bad and opens up the NFC East now. The Eagles probably theirs to, to lose at this point. Uh, unless the Cowboys do something uh, dramatic. Yeah, like the Dallas having kind of uh, traded away Cooper in the offseason, they do have, I think, about 11 or 12 million in cap space there. So they do have the money to go and pick someone up if they can find someone to, to, to get. It's just a question of, yeah, like you say, can they get someone good enough to work as a bridge? And realistically, what are they giving up for 
seven, eight weeks of bridge quarterback play. If they could get him, if they get Dak back in four weeks, great. But these hand injuries are always problematic ones, and you always like to lean towards the the later section of the uh, expectation. So. See, I'll have a perfectly good Drew Locke just waiting to be used now. That <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's an upgrade to what the Cowboys already have is the problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of big injuries, uh, Pittsburgh edge defender TJ Watt has a pectoral injury. Uh, so this is... A difficult one if he requires surgery on this he's going to be gone for the season effectively if not he'll be gone for maybe six to eight weeks uh the current belief is that he will not need surgery he's had two opinions i think in it so far we'll be getting another one um but yeah i think he was pretty much putting putting his name at the top of the running for defensive player of the year after about 15 minutes of the game against the Bengals that we'll talk about later on. But in particular, the, the, the two plays in a row where he absolutely blew up the running back in the backfield and then in the following play hopped up and brought down a ball for an interception. He was, he was playing out of his mind. Uh, I was initially wondering what had happened. I thought that maybe he'd been ejected or something because he was wandering on the sidelines after I believe a flag was thrown on uh, a play. But yeah, no, uh, that's quite damaging. And that is like, look, their defense is still very good, but that is a huge player to be losing. Yeah. So pectoral injuries are one of those kind of strange ones where, look, if it's torn, you probably shouldn't play. And if he does play, he will probably be playing through a lot of pain. These are particularly bad in terms of pain uh, my understanding is yeah so obviously he's kind of shopping for medical opinions it kind of sounds like so that he can play and he is obviously desperate to keep playing uh you know within this season but mm. you know if it's if it is genuinely a torn peck which is what he seemed to believe initially then perhaps for his own good he should not be playing uh, for much longer than the six weeks that he would in the non-surgery scenario. So, look, TJ Watt, they gave him a big extension recently. He's obviously a superstar. You'd expect he'll come back as strong next year. And, like, you're you're running a Mitch Trubisky offense this year. I don't know how much of a Super Bowl contender you really are. Uh, but, like, look, he obviously wants to play. The coaches want him to play because they want to keep winning. And he obviously just looked so amazing in week one. It's hard not to want that on the field as soon as possible. But... You know, the, the kind of going to multiple people to get the the, the the answer you want. It's a little bit of a concern for me. Yeah. But, like, look, he's a grown man. He can make his own choices. And if he comes back and he's in a lot of pain, I still imagine he'll <clears> probably <throat> still be one of the best defensive players in the league. So it's just about the the long term. I'd have some concerns about this situation. No, of course. Uh, Baltimore lost two very important players. Their offensive tackle, Joan James, has done his Achilles. He's gone for the season. And cornerback, uh, Kyle Fuller, it's also done as uh, his, well. He's done his ACL and he's gone for the season. So two key pieces for them. Um, like again, we'll be going into kind of how these matchups went for them all uh, shortly enough. But this is a big shot to the to the defense. Kyle Fuller was expected to be a, 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 a rotational piece of that backfield. Um, they're a team that, as much as their offense is great, they kind of have the reputation of being that tough defense. Uh, Juwan James being lost in the offensive line is also an issue, particularly given how much they want to focus in on the run and stuff like that. But um, yeah, two more pieces there. Uh, can Baltimore recover from that, Sean? Well, I mean, they it's... Yeah, they're, they're, there's a lot of depth in general. I, might, I wouldn't worry too much about the Ravens uh, in terms of what they do. They've got good coaching uh, and they're kind of good depth uh, in general. So, I mean, I wouldn't... Yes, yeah, I mean season-ending injuries are never good, and Kyle Fuller, I, I think in particular, I kind of like what he does. But uh, I mean, it's 
it's too early to say it's not it's not like a tj watt it's not like a deck press it's not mm. like a, this is a stone cold problem these are these are pieces that are going to be missing but uh, but i have to imagine that john harbaugh knows how to how to make it work in their absence i mean the ravens went through the entirety last season with a massive injury crisis yeah, so yeah. made the playoffs so i wouldn't be too worried about it yeah your boy seattle fits have lost uh well probably lost safety jamal adams uh, knee tendon injury it's very serious and likely season ending um yeah I, I know that you won on Monday Night Football, and we will discuss that afterwards. Um, <laughs> is this a is this a put him in mothballs and wait until you have a more competitive season, or are you starting to buy in on the dream that what you needed was a downgraded quarterback to be able to make a Super Bowl run? No, like I think there's a situation where Pete Carroll came out after the game and said it was, uh, in quotes, a serious injury. Pete Carroll is one of those guys who is an eternal optimist by all accounts, so if he's saying that, then don't be surprised that by the time you're listening to this it's been confirmed that he's gone for the season like they obviously he's been injured a lot since they traded for him so this is hardly unprecedented but mm. you know the biggest thing is whether this will have a long-term impact on, on him going forward um but in terms of this season it's most likely done and like look obviously as we'll talk about the result that happened uh, on monday was amazing but um yeah this probably wasn't the super bowl team and it's a team that's trying out a lot of young players and building up towards the future so yeah i think most likely we'll probably see some young safeties given an opportunity here that it's unfortunate how it's happening, but uh, that's probably the way things are going. And look, Jamal Adams is a good player. I know he's given his trade circumstances. He's the butt of a lot of jokes, but he is a good player um, when used appropriately. And uh, I think he will be missed from the defense, but yeah, it's not the greatest defense. It's a young defense. So I don't know how, what the level of would have been throughout the season regardless. Yeah. And Philadelphia, Joshua Derek Barnett has done his ACL and he's gone for the season. This is a team that obviously we talked up, a lot in the off season. It was on, uh, I think, Fitz's high points and Sean's low points of expectations. So, uh, take that what you want about uh, what the divisiveness of the Philly team is. But one of the strengths they had was rotational line stuff that they had, and uh, this is a knock to that. Uh, so it, it is a problem, but they do have a lot of bodies there. So hopefully they'll be able to make up for it. Um, in less serious injuries, so these are ones that are, you know, we're not saying that they're not important, but they're less season-ending. Uh, San Francisco running back Elijah Mitchell has injured his MCL. He's gone for six to eight weeks. New York Jets offensive tackle Dwayne Brown has injured his shoulder, and he's gone for four to six weeks. Uh, Chris Godwin, the wide receiver for Tampa Bay, has injured his hamstring, so he's one to three weeks. Uh, Keenan Allen, the Chargers wide receiver, has also hurt his hamstring, and he's week to week. T. Higgins, the Cincinnati wide receiver, has a concussion after getting sandwiched between three separate uh, Pittsburgh Steelers last week, and he's week to week. And New England's uh, Mac Jones, the big Mac attack, has back spasms, and he's expected to play through them. Um, are any of these kind of jumping out at you? Says the Jets have gone through how many tackles at this point now? Yeah, so Dwayne Brown was obviously brought in to replace Mickey Becton, their young, uh, they hope, franchise left tackle. He's obviously a guy who had a lot of experience. He played with Seattle most recently. And he pretty much didn't even play week one. This happened before week one. So a bit of a, a bit of an unfortunate circumstance there. And certainly Flacco did not seem to be enjoying his time behind the uh, makeshift defensive line. Elijah Mitchell, like, look, he looked really good for San Francisco, but he's done that a lot and then been injured and gone missing. This is his longest injury in his career so far, but he's always been injury prone. And it'll be interesting to see if they can get production out of guys like Jeff Wilson or Tyrion Davis-Price or guys like that. But uh, there was definitely a step down when... Wilson went in uh, during the Chicago game uh, versus when Elijah Mitchell was in there. Maybe you'd see more Debo in the backfield. And like, look, Godwin, Allen, Higgins, these are all huge contributors, a wide receiver uh, for the respective teams. Thankfully, 
the injuries aren't too severe, particularly in the case of Godwin, who was coming off a major injury last year. Um, but something to keep an eye on, because, of course, maybe this will lead to aggravations going forward, especially those hamstring injuries. Yeah, and Keenan Allen is on uh, Thursday Night Football, so there's a strong chance that he might be missing for that now as well because of the quick turnaround. Um, but, yeah, and the other bit of news is supposed to be uh, Emmanuel Sanders, wide receiver, is retired after 13 seasons. He spent most of the time with Pittsburgh and Denver. Uh, and I think, did he do a brief stint with New England for, like, two days or something? Um, he finished with 9,245 yards and 52 touchdowns. Uh, pretty decent career, but nothing that's, I imagine, going to be uh, hitting the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like he might get a ring of honor with Denver. I believe he's retiring as a Bronco and obviously mm-hmm. was part of that Super Bowl winning team, Super Bowl 50. So, like, look, he was always a productive receiver kind of in that second tier, never like with the, you know, the Calvin Johnsons or the Julio Jones, but uh, a very effective weapon when he was there. And uh, hope he enjoys retirement. Yeah. Um, and the other bit that we kind of, I think we mentioned in the off season that they, they weren't able to secure extension talks with um with uh, Lamar Jackson. So I believe that the reports are he was being offered more guaranteed or sorry, a higher average per year than the Russell Wilson deal, but that it wasn't really extending very long in terms of guarantees and stuff. So he wanted a bit more of a longer term commitment. So he's rolling the dice Kirk Cousins style. I believe there was some reports that he was looking at the Deshaun Watson contract as a significant precedent. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> that's a bad precedent <laughs> in many ways, but you know, the players obviously see it as a useful precedent. So, yeah, he's mm. doing the Kirk Cousins thing. And if he's successful this year and early outings are interesting, um, then he could make a lot of money. Yeah. And on that lovely note, we'll move on and look at the games from last week. So, first up, uh, and a nail biter, it was Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, 23 to 20 in overtime. Uh, long summer injury hurt Cincy late, as uh, we saw blocked. Like we saw blocked uh, PATs, we're seeing missed overtime field goals. Uh, this was a very, very interesting game. The Pittsburgh Steelers kind of came out and decided that it doesn't matter if they've got Mitch Trubisky at quarterback and can't move the ball and can't do anything. Their defense would do enough for them. Uh, they was it five interceptions, uh, four interceptions? Four the, interceptions and a fumble. And a fumble, that was it, against Burrow, who uh, had an absolute nightmare of a, of a first half. Uh, they started to kind of get it together a little bit in the second half and, and started to come back into it. But yeah, like uh, I believe, Fitz, I was playing you in one of our fantasy leagues this week, and the only reason I was able to win was because I had the Pittsburgh defense who made up for the fact that I had two non-scoring players in my lineup. Um, another injury that happened here was uh, Najee Harris got hurt towards the back end, which I think caused some problems for them. But yeah, like Mitch Trubisky, uh, as much as uh, one or two of the people who were watching the football were shouting MVP, MVP, um, he subbed 200 yards, one touchdown, wasn't really able to get anything going here. Um, Cincinnati took a while to get out of their way, like out of their own way. And even then they still weren't able to seal the deal. Like they were moving pretty well, throughout the middle of the, the, the field, but just couldn't seem to, to, to get it to convert into points. Like, yes, they came back from an 11-point deficit to, to get to overtime, but, like, this is worrying for the team that was in the Super Bowl last year to come out and start this cold. Do we think this is going to be a 
is this, you know, a, a, a once-off playing a very good defense who know them very well because they're in division and the guys are starting slow and, look, it's week one, we'll just not worry about it kind of thing? Or is this a, man, they have swapped out a couple of linemen and, like, they've lost a few pieces and maybe they aren't as sharp as they used to be and maybe Cincinnati uh, aren't actually kind of, st- aren't looking like kind of the contenders they were at the back end of last year? Are you saying uh, well, MVP or are you saying NVP? Uh, he, he is the only <laughs> holder of an NVP, right? Yeah, it's like, I was saying MVP. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, I'll let you go uh, with the actual analysis. Um, yeah, I mean, the Cincy thing, I think you can, some of it can be just written off as week one and they're getting together. And I think it's like their O-line, which has obviously been the, the huge problem they had last season was that they couldn't get any protection for Burrow and they reconstructed it and still didn't seem to do that much. They were very vulnerable here to to, to pressure and attacked and Burrow got sacked a number of times and one of those sacks led to the fumble and a number of the pressures led to the you know the kind of throws that he didn't want to make and some of those were interceptions. So you can put some of that down to the fact that the O-line isn't quite where they wanted to be and maybe that's just because these guys have to get used to playing with beside each other and it's going to get better as weeks go on but it's not it's not a great sign that the big problem they had last year is starting out week one of this year is still the big problem that they have is that they don't have an overline to protect their superstar quarterback but you can also make the case that as you said that they didn't offensively really fire as much as they they did it took about a quarter and a half for him to even really to start to turn up offensively and a number of the drives just kind of ended in in or kind of ended in, in weird ways. They ha- had to rely on fourth downs a number of times. It, it, it often became a situation where it was just the burrow to Jamar Chase was kind of the emergency get-out um, play, and they often had to pull it out uh, in kind of big third and fourth quarter options when nothing else seemed to be working. They also they had a touchdown uh, with, like, I think, was it about maybe a minute or so to, to go in the game where they the, the refs... Uh, misspotted the ball and they didn't challenge the play. They they went for a hurry up instead. I mean, it's stuff like that. That that that's obviously worrying from a coaching point of view. Um, so you you would be you'd be obviously there always been questions about Zach Taylor and how how good a coach he is. So there's there's things you can say. Okay, these are things that are going to get better as the season goes on, or you'd hope they get better. Things like the O line and the the offensive cohesion. But there's there's still too many questions about this. And I think we maybe forget that this team was a bit of a surprise package last year, and that they weren't. They weren't all conquering. They were just a team that kind of went on a run and had really good offensive um, offensive juice going on late in the season. Um, so I think I I wouldn't expect them to win the AFC again this season. I mean, I would be surprised if they even win their division this season. But if they play like this, they're not even going to make the playoffs. So I I mean, yeah, I think it's too early to tell. But I would say there there are definite things on the board that needs to be fixed very quickly, or else this team is going to be in a big lot of trouble going on. And in, in terms of the Steelers, I mean, it's, yeah, the defense is a lot better than we remember it being. They had that off year kind of last season, so we didn't really, we kind of wrote off this defense maybe to a certain extent and forgot how good they were. What Obviously, it's going to be a big loss with that, but the offense is just, I mean, Trubisky was better than he could have been. He had a couple of nice throws, and he, you know, he threw, you know, for almost 200 yards, but... Yeah, especially second half, they just weren't going anywhere. And it looks very much like the same Pittsburgh team as last year where the, the defense is better than the offense and the offense is hampered by not having a very good quarterback. And it kind of looks like the Bengals are kind of the same thing, potentially offensively explosive, but problems in the O-line that could cost them in big games. Yeah, like I, Obviously, overall, a bad performance for Joe Burrow, but he did win this game de facto. If they had their long snapper in there, they probably would have scored 
a TD, sorry, scored the point after the touchdown, and they would have won this game after being down 17-6 to at half-time and looking completely lost and keep throwing the ball to the other team. So, you know, like, this is obviously not a great performance, and obviously that's helped a lot by the fact that the op- like the offense on the other side wasn't doing much, and, you know, one of the TDs in this game for Pittsburgh came from their defense. So, you know, obviously the Steelers were doing things that were keeping them in the game, but Joe Burrow looked like a guy like, yes making lots of mistakes, but he did seem to be getting a handle on things as the game went on. And remember, he missed most of training camp due to an appendix, in, due to his appendix. So obviously he's going to be a little bit rusty. And the Steelers just came out here with a game plan that seemed designed to shut down the 2021 version of this offense. The deep balls were not there, like the kind of alert plays um, that basically were the bread and butter of this offense, like those really long TDs to Jamar Chase. It was obvious that the Steelers were making schematic changes to take those away and force Joe Burrow to throw across the middle where their defense could have more of an impact, in particular Minka Fitzpatrick can have more of an impact. And man, he had a fucking impact in this game alongside DJ Watt like those two guys were absolutely wrecking shop like Alex Highsmith also had a solid game as well like I think he deserves a shadow with three sacks but like and the run game really didn't get going he was like three yards a carry for Joe Mixon so you take away two of the elements that were really the base of their offensive success late on last season um, or throughout most of last season and it's obvious that you know on the other side the coaches had done a really good job Tomlin and co of basically breaking down this offense and making it hurt and you know but the whole point like the point is that like as the game went on you started to see chase come on in the inside routes more and joe burrow tried to start to find him more and more as the game went on and as he as he stopped you know relying on his outside speed or trying to beat guys like that way and that think like you saw the evolution so i'm not that worried about them um because i think you know as i say like they had two chances to win this game one at the end one in overtime when they missed the kick and you're kind of going like if they had a proper long snapper in there and like bill belichick's going right now it's like well i told you like long snapper is the most important position on a football team and here's the history of why um but that end up making a big difference that's kind of a, a unique thing so like look definitely reasons for concern and if other defenses are going to come in and learn from this there might be some transition issues similar to what we've seen with the chiefs and buffalo bills early last year but i have enough belief in burrow that he can get over this on the other hand for the steelers like how do you solve things with mitch trubisky like this offense just looked like didn't really seem to have much i get that they were ahead for most of this game so you're playing relatively conservatively but if Najee harris has picked up a knock that's going to either keep him out or even just slow him down and he had a list frank injury that they kind of kept hidden throughout the preseason apparently um if he's not the same player he was last year and mitch trubisky isn't seeing the field properly and they're having to like scheme up plays for like chase claypool in the running game to get any offense going you know there has to be serious consideration that Kenny Pickett is going to be brought into this offense sooner and later because if Mitch Trubisky cannot read the field if all this Mitch hype turns out to be smoke and nothing else then they need to make a move soon because if you're going to have a, a bad offense it might as well be in the service of training up a guy who's the future of your franchise not a guy who you know at best is going to be like a mid-level starter and at the moment looks very much like the backup that he deserves to be yeah uh, I suppose speaking of backup quarterbacks, uh, <laughs> we'll move on to the next one. Cleveland and Carolina, 26-24. to Cleveland get the win after a 58-yard field goal, uh, able to snatch victory over Carolina after they kind of came back from a 20-7 to deficit. Um, it was what you would expect from Cleveland. Of, it was a lot of running. Uh, Chubb was over 100 yards. Hunt vultured the touchdowns and at 70 yards himself uh, and then I presume shouted at the end zone, trade me, trade me now. Um, Brissett 
like didn't do anything 147 yards and a touchdown which is slightly killing the the new fun darkest timeline where the browns get to week 12 and they are 10 and 1 or whatever and they can't bench Brissette and then uh they've just got uh they've just got their uh their big evil acquisition sitting on the bench for you know whatever the 250 million that they're paying him um look it was slow but it grew into a game cleveland got some sacks christian mccaffrey's usage was something that surprised me a little bit uh i don't know if that's just them wanting to lean away from him uh, a little bit or not overuse him too early on he had 57 yards and a touchdown the touchdown involving him launching himself over the top so if the lack of usage was to keep tread on the tires probably stop firing him over offensive lines like that uh robbie anderson who was very unhappy about baker mayfield coming there got over 100 yards uh which was a bit of a surprise because he's you know pretty much consistently underperformed up to this point but this very much felt like i think was it the opening the opening pass from uh from from baker was batted down uh at the line and you just kind of got a slightly bad feeling from that point onwards that that was what it was going to look like and this was a grim game a close game but um yeah just not exactly neither neither one of these uh quarterbacks look like they have kind of stamped their name as someone who should be a starting quarterback in the nfl like they both look backup level here right yeah like carolina kind of came into this game and they looked fragile they looked like a team that's kind of been you know they're, they're obviously a quarterback picked up late in the off season uh, a running back coming off a major another major injury and multiple major injuries you know a set of offensive weapons that you know didn't seem to know quite what they were doing you had a lot of quick outs quick screens and the cleveland browns seemed ready to take advantage of a team which obviously with matt rule tends to run too many of those college type concepts those quick outs like and they just absolutely camped down them I mean, you talked about that first pass that got knocked down they were like i think carolina wanted to ease baker mayfield into the game because we know baker's a guy you know who likes having momentum he's a guy who if you give him his first read tends to be much more effective than when you force him to do all field reels reads but cleveland obviously have done the homework or the homework was already done for them i suppose over the last uh, three or so years um they came out and they knew what they needed to do to shut this guy down and it basically took an entire half uh, for Matt Rule and the offense to realize that they needed to change up, they needed to get more aggressive, and in particular, they needed to get Christian McCaffrey involved more. I don't know. Like, look, I, I get it. Like, he's obviously got injury concerns. You obviously don't want to overwhelm him again. But Matt Rule, if you're playing for your job, use your best player and don't be afraid. Like, he's going to get injured if because you're going to get fired either way. If you don't use him, you get fired. If he gets injured, you get fired. You might as well go with the right. At least has some chance of success. And you know, like CMC obviously wasn't afraid himself because, as you said on his touchdown he just flung himself into the air uh, to get spun around so he's not a guy who's ever been afraid to play he's a guy who's playing there so it was just very interesting that he was such a non-factor in early in this game and you saw that he still has the juice right he had that play uh, nearly behind the line like he had a play where baker fumbled the ball he picked it up and went for 20 yards he had a play um where he got the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then beat three tackles and got a first down like he looked like cmc so i don't know why he wasn't being used like cmc and you're relying on like out balls to like Robbie Anderson or whatever like that and like look Robbie Anderson had a nice uh, 75 yard TD that was part of the big comeback here for Carolina um, but it was just very poor preparation from Carolina they looked like a team that probably needed to do a bit more work in the preseason as for Cleveland look this is a very 
middle of the pack type team that you're putting together here um which is very much based on an old school ground and pound like solution they know their quarterback isn't the solution he's very conservative he holds the ball he makes very few explosive plays that's just not a mix that you want in the modern nfl maybe 30 years ago that was acceptable it certainly isn't now but you know when you have nick chubb being an absolute beast when Kareem Hunt is a weapon both as a runner but also as a as an option in the passing game maybe you can get away with it but like you know you had the, you know they had the big trade for Mary Cooper he was basically completely unused Donovan Peoples-Jones was the leading receiver and he didn't have that many yards to be perfectly frank uh, I believe he only had 60 so on, on six uh, at six, six or ten yards a, 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 like a pass is not great so it's just all together you know they were ready they had it like the Cleveland knew what they were doing and they and Carolina did not look like they knew how to stop it, basically. And so they put up an early lead, uh, 20 to 7, uh, like uh, quite late in this game. Carolina, but well, the thing is, like when Carolina leaned into their strengths, they gave Barry Baker those play action plays. They gave CMC the ball and just let him do his thing. They came back, they got into the lead of this game late on, and you're kind of going great. Like, you know, Baker Mayfield fired up. You saw him after that um, rushing TD where he just flung the ball against the wall at the highest velocity he could get. Um, and they looked ramped up, but they left enough time on the, on the clock. Um, for Cleveland with 70-70 seconds to get it. And importantly, in that drive, they didn't go, okay, we only have 77 seconds, let's like, throw the ball a lot. They leaned on the run game again because they knew the Carolina Panthers couldn't stop it because their defensive line up the middle just wasn't good enough to stop them all game. And look, it's not going to make anyone swoon, um, but this is exactly the type of game plan they need to do if they want to pick up enough wins so that they're still relevant when Deshaun Watson comes back obviously I'm not really hoping that happens but look the template's worked before it could work again um for Carolina lean into what you should be leaning into and you could be at least somewhat of a factor this year and rule might keep his job yeah I mean it's walking away you the of the two teams obviously the Panthers are going to be far more depressed or Panthers fans are far more depressed about what's going on because at least the Browns have the excuse that they don't have their starting QB and, and therefore this isn't the team that's going to, as they see it, get into the playoffs and do some damage at the end of the season. This, however, is the very best that the Panthers can be. They they had McCaffrey on the field, which is not a thing that happens very often. They've got Baker now as their starting QB. They, they've got all the pieces in place and it was very, very meh. This was very just, it just never really went anywhere exciting. Baker had a very slow start. Obviously, he turned it on the second half and I think they were beginning to maybe figure out how to work things once DJ Moore got open a bit more often and Anderson obviously had his big play things were looking like they were clicking like they'd done enough but um, wasn't to be in the end but yeah as Ronan says I mean this team cannot be a passing team you cannot build uh, a, a high quality NFL offense or uh, as a passing team around Baker Mayfield especially when you have an elite running back uh, in your in your system they should be the, the usage should be flipped entirely the other way. Baker should be... McCaffrey should be the bread and butter, the guy who gets things done. I, I don't care if he ends up injured as a result of this. You have to use him. Like, the idea that we can't use him because he might get injured means you don't use him at all then. May as well use him and hope that he holds up long enough for you to get a few wins on the board before he gets gets injured. Because having him as the kind of the, the main option and Baker as the and the passing game as the mix-it-up, I think, would be a much better option for the Panthers than the other way um, around. For Cleveland, yeah, I mean, the run game was all they had, but it worked. I mean, you would be worried a little bit about the, the anonymity of some of the receivers, and Joku had a very, very quiet game. Amari Cooper had a very, very quiet game. But you'd imagine that once they do get to Sean Watson, those things will start to fix themselves. 
the bigger issue with the Browns maybe is the defense. Obviously, the defense was the big strength last year. It was the thing they kind of led with as they were chugging along uh, last season. But it really didn't look all that fantastic here, um, especially in the second half. I mean, this is a very mediocre Panthers offense, and especially second half, there were big holes being blown in the Browns. In, in the Browns' defensive lines and stuff. So I would be a bit worried about that. If that if they are relying on run game plus defense until Watson comes back, the run game seems fine, but the defense does not seem like where it needs to be if this team wants to be a, in the contention for a playoff by the time they get their uh, their, their superstar quarterback uh, back on the field or on the field for the first time. Yeah. Uh, next up, Denver at Seattle. Uh, this was the Monday Night Football 16 to 17 i thought 17 to 18 no um but yeah it was uh it was an interesting one as you imagine everyone who's been a gino believer uh thinks this is proof of of concept finally 200 yards two touchdowns um it was a very weird game from the denver perspective there was a huge amount of mistakes made by russell wilson he was clearly not hugely comfortable in the offense yet there were a lot of i think there's a couple of delay a game penalties but like there was just there's a lot of messiness on the line um there was also just like just stupid mistakes that you would hope that they would kind of that would balance out then like you, you'd hope that you won't constantly uh multiple times in a game fumble the ball on a goal line situation um to get rid of it you have like I know this is going to be probably the hackneyed go-to thing on this game, but you don't spend $250 plus million and five or six like draft picks and three or four players to trade for someone to then go kick 60-something yard field goals, right? You bring in Wilson because he can get you the five yards that you need in that kind of scenario. Frankly, you bring him in because you don't expect that you're going to be in a position to be losing to the Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks, full stop. But you sure as shit do not start kicking 64-yard field goals instead of trying to get five yards with your superstar star quarterback you've given a quarter of a billion dollars to um there was some good stuff we saw both judy and sutton get involved here judy got the touchdown but it was all kind of outside bits like this is i don't know if it's just a comfort thing for wilson but he doesn't look to be sitting fantastically well into that offense and the head coach needs to take a long hard look in the mirror about how you made a call like trying to kick the second longest field goal in NFL history instead of just trying to let Russell Wilson get five yards yeah and if you trade all of that resources for a veteran franchise quarterback then if the rookie head coach doesn't know what they're doing the quarterback should know what they're doing right because people were watching the Manning cast and this clip came out pretty much as soon as the game was over of like the second that the situation was coming up at the end where they had over a minute of time on the clock and they chose to bleed it down to like around 20 seconds. Like the second, like basically pretty much from the start, you saw Peyton Manning literally making the timeout sign and then basically asking, why aren't they taking a timeout um, to at least like make a decision with enough time that they could, you know, change things around if they needed to, or like make an actual decision, um, like and have time left over given like where the situation was at the clock like i think you know to some extent i suppose they got caught out by the weirdness of the last play where javante williams got a a pass and kind of turned what could have easily been a loss into um a 10-yard gain but that was still short of the line of scrimmage by about five yards as you mentioned and they just seemed to get caught like they were in the perfect like weird zone between 
go for it and go for the field goal. But like objectively, going for a 64-yard field goal is a terrible idea, um, especially in an outside stadium like Seattle have. And um, this isn't Denver, like um, where the air is thin. So yeah, just a really strange scenario there where it makes both Nathaniel Hackett, the new head coach, and Russell Wilson look like they weren't quite prepared, and they look like a team that perhaps could have taken a few more snaps in the preseason to start, you know, making this thing work together. Um, and I think you know you've pointed out like this was a problem for Seattle last year where even before before Russell Wilson got injured, but he doesn't look quite suited to the kind of Shanahan-type system um, that obviously Nathaniel Hackett is kind of bringing from Green Bay and from that wider Shanahan tree. Um, that's not the only offense he's played over his, his, his coaching career as an offensive coordinator, but that's the one that he's had the most success with. And, you know, Russell Wilson under center play action, he's just never been really good at seeing the middle of the field and making plays there. And you'd, like I think on that uh, final play to Javante Williams, uh, apparently Jerry Judy was wide open across the middle. So, you know, there's a real, there's a tension there, as you mentioned, between what this offense is supposed to look like and what the Russell Wilson offense looks like. And the Russell Wilson offense looks like deep balls and screens and basically there's kind of two tram lines near to the sidelines where he passes the ball and then there's just a void in the middle where the ball never goes now there is one solution to that and that's to give the ball more to Javante Williams who last year showed that he's an explosive running back it's not the modern way of dealing with things but it's an effective way if you can run the ball effectively and they severely underused in my opinion um, young Javante Williams in this game he only got seven carries and he had 6.1 per carry use this guy more i know he had a fumble but you know he's explosive enough that that doesn't matter and if you're not going to if you if you aren't going to beat russell wilson until he does the middle of the field things like jimmy g does or tom brady does then you're gonna need to run the ball to make up for that um so really big issues but they have the talent and you saw that the explosive plays worked against the very like very raw secondary like judy had his yards Cortland had his yards. so those things will work but you need to have something to go with them and you need to get more disciplined both in terms of um turtles preventing turnovers your time management they had other like they had other time management issues because a fumble earlier in this game and they just need to get their shit sorted basically they just looked very raw week one not prepared at all um and for a team that obviously has very high expectations and is in a division with you know at least two superstar teams and one that can't be dismissed that's certainly a big issue now who cares about Denver, right? It's a, like this is a weird game that Seattle perhaps shouldn't deserve to win. But hey, look, Geno Smith in the first half of this game played absolutely lights out. I think he had one incompletion. He had a couple of wow plays, in particular the play where there was a free rusher came at him. He went underneath him, was running. The entire defense is like he's going to rush, and now he just like, flicks the ball over to Will Disley and gets a touchdown. And it was really fun to see. Like, there's no denying that seeing Geno Smith get his. Uh, get his flowers is it's not hard not to be uh, it's, it's hilarious basically uh, but amusing in, in, in various different degrees <laughs> and his quote afterwards like you know uh, what was it they, they wrote oh, me off but I they didn't wrote me off back. and i never wrote back yeah <laughs> that's it like, doesn't make like, any sense but it sounds good <laughs> exactly i like that's basically she does <laughs> in a nutshell <laughs> Yeah. You know, sometimes it sounds good, but it doesn't make any sense, right? But like, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. I think in the, on the defense side, like this is an incredibly young defense. Obviously, none of the Legion of Boom or anyone from that era is there anymore, and it showed at times here. But in the big moments, they got the big plays. I don't think you can rely on that week to week. But hey, you show that in what is probably going to be the Super Bowl for this team, taking on your former franchise quarterback and trying to prove a point at all levels. 
you see the makings of what could be a great good defense in in years to come but i think other teams will know what to exploit going forward and they probably won't get the rub of the green they got here but look like for a team that expectations probably could not be any lower particularly outside the organization you know at least you start on a positive note and i think you know Pete Carroll game, like the Pete Carroll will probably run the ball going forward. And, you know, I think in this game, they probably could have kept going in the second half. But Pete Carroll, you know, he closed down shop once they had the lead. Let's just hold on for this for dear life. And we're going to see a lot of that in Seattle. They're going to get blown out in some games, but in the games which are close, they're going to play yeah. that kind of coin flip kind of game that we expect from them under the Pete Carroll regime. Fair enough. Over to the AFC West, the Vegas uh, Raiders took on the LA Chargers, uh, 19 to 24. Vegas tried to mount a comeback, but came up short. Carr went for just shy of 300 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. Uh, got smacked to the ground by Mac. I wonder if he recognized him for anywhere. I wonder if he ever played out in this area before. Uh, three sacks out of the six that the LA Chargers got in this game. Um, yeah, this was. Uh, <sighs> This is a game that I think the final scoreline flatters the Raiders a little bit, um, but also I think it's also indicative of the Chargers trying to charge away another game. Um, they were up like 17-3 to at the halftime. It looked <clears throat> completely done. Um, and like it is, it is weird. The Raiders are just essentially trying to do what Green Bay did beforehand because they got some good usage out of Adams, uh, if you look at just the the just 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 the title things, if, if he got 141 yards and and a touchdown, but when you look at like this is his big target and his best friend is throwing to him, he caught just slightly over half of his targets. Like he has 10 catches on 17 targets, and they just didn't really target too many other people. Darren Waller. Like got six targets and then it's just like kind of two one one i think renfro got one or two targets but like they're just trying to funnel it to adams and it's not accurate enough like if you're going to just run it through one player you have to hit him more than 60 percent of the time um there was questions about what they were doing in the run game and that kind of stuff as well herbert looked great in this game 280 yards and, and, and three touchdowns uh spreading the ball around there's some great pictures of him stepping up through pressure and just putting the ball in a really really nice spot and their defense looked good but i don't understand what it is about this team that like they were just coasting and they still let this get back to within one score and needed a sack to make sure that it was it was stopped like it was it's just very confusing to me, Sean, because I look at this and I go, right, this Chargers team are definitely talented enough and they look great on both sides of the ball, but then they let themselves get into this position. Like, I is is it coaching? Is it just, like, that they took their eye off the ball? Is it inexperience? Like, it, I mean, it's hard to say. It just kind of feels like, I mean, they kind of let the game kind of drift away once they got their big lead, especially in kind of the third, fourth quarters. They just kind of... They kind of just stopped doing the things they were doing in the first half, and then the Raiders suddenly discovered that they could get down the field a bit, and suddenly it was a close game. I mean, it it's odd. I mean, my notes here are all like effusively praising of the Chargers and how great they were, and kind of down denigrating the Raiders and how much disappointed. And yet, this was only a five point game, and I agree with you that it very easily the Raiders could have stolen this. Um, and maybe, I mean, there are similar similarities I think to last season a little bit as well. The Chargers did kind of flatter to deceive a bit. They looked really good. But they ended up only winning, uh, I think it was nine games last season. Um, whereas the Raiders looked a bit mad, ended up, you know, making the playoffs, including beating the Chargers in a big game 
right in. So it is going to be interesting to see how this evolves because the Chargers, I mean, you look at, you watch Herbert and you go, oh my God, this guy might be the perfect quarterback. He might be the quintessential modern quarterback, the perfect upgrade of the quarterback position. He's got an incredible arm. He's got incredible uh, vision. And he's also like, he's, he's mobile and it's quite an underappreciated part of his game. He's able to move and he's able to, to do what has to be done to keep uh, plays going on. He can do it all and he looks, it looks so kind of, you know, picture perfect when he does it. You can you can kind of get blinded by by just how amazing that is. And then the defense, which was the problem last season, looked really good this this time. The run defense, which was the the huge Achilles heel, held up. I mean, the I think the Raiders only got about was it seventy yards of uh, something like that, or not even yeah sixty sixty four yards of rushing, which is obviously a huge upgrade from the Chargers uh, from that point of view. And the, the the Raiders, especially when they were chasing the game, were advancing mostly through passing. I was just generally impressed by the quality of defense. Uh, most of the, the three interceptions that Carr threw, I mean, you could claim that they were bad reads, but two of them were just quite good reads by the cornerbacks in terms of stealing balls that maybe weren't theirs um, to, to, to begin with. So they were aggressive up front, a lot of pressure uh, on the on the Raiders O-line and very opportunistic at the back. So it looks quite well. They look, the charges are great on both sides of the ball and really looks like if they if, it, if they can click for four quarters they can beat absolutely anybody but the question is are they going to do that are they going to have the mentality to kind of push that forward and i think next week that the chiefs is going to be a real asset test because they you can't turn off this chiefs team team has proven uh, uh, that they're that they're still at the races they're still the old chiefs that they were and you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to back that up next season by playing for four quarters. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we look at this, we say like the Raiders defense isn't actually all, all, all that impressive. And then we get to the, we get, we get to the second half and we have, okay, the chargers first drive is a touchdown drive looking good. They get themselves up to 24 to 10 and then three plays punt, three plays punt, seven plays missed field goal, three plays punt, and then five plays end of game. Like, they got nothing going in the second half at all. It was just really bizarre because fine when they're up two scores, but even then, like they're then down to one score and then less than a score. Like it's just, it's very strange to me against what was not a very impressive looking Vegas team. But like you say, we'll find out next week if they can actually maintain it for a full game. Uh, next up, New Orleans at Atlanta, 27-26. to 26. New Orleans will do a 16-point fourth-quarter deficit uh, with Lutz field goal. James Winston having a lot of fun with this one. Uh, 269 yards, two touchdowns. Um, yeah, it was uh, Thomas looking good. Landry looking fine on moving the chains. Atlanta were a bit of a surprise here. We were wondering, were they going to be basically objectively horrible to watch? And they were actually quite effective Mariota used his legs um didn't pass for a ton i think it was 200 or so but like they looked good patterson still seems to be working i still don't know how that's happening uh, 136 yards and a touchdown and the rookie london went for for 70 yards and looked quite good in in, in that it was it was a fine performance for them and then just kind of a bit of a collapse down the tail end and uh, you like I would have I would have expected New Orleans to be a bit more dominant in this game, particularly not that they'd be trailing in the fourth quarter like that. Yeah, it was a strange game with a sufficiently strange ending, uh, where the Saints' offense had basically been moribund for 
three quarters of this game. The only touchdown they had before the end of the game was a Taysom Hill gadget play uh, that happened to go off more than expected. And like Jameis was basically looked terrible um, and everything just looked kind of lost. And Atlanta were throwing out a kind of weird college level game plan effectively where they were treating Mariota as purely a run pass option quarterback. And to be fair, I've kind of said before, like Mariota... There's no point in protecting this guy because if you make him sit in the pocket or try to play like a traditional quarterback, he's not very good. But as a guy who just runs outside the pocket, who kind of does stuff like Jalen Hurts is doing for Philly, I think he can be a effective enough quarterback. And I think in Cordell Patterson, who's the ultimate utility player, a guy who's as comfortable, you know, running from, you know, in the eye, as uh, taking a pass like in a screen game. He's a guy who creates, uh, you know, uncertainty around all of those kind of short plays and showed that he is a really effective weapon. And our Arthur Smith did not just forget how he's used towards the end of the year. He was obviously just uh, trying other stuff. And I think Drake London, their rookie wide receiver, also had a pretty productive day, 74 yards. That's a great start um, for a rookie to kind of see that he's making stuff. But, you know, I think the one criticism you could definitely have, even while they were on a tear early in this game, is that they were settling for way too many field goals. Like, Koo had a great fantasy day, but overall, like, there's definitely echoes of the kind of bad Atlanta teams we've seen over the three, four years where, you know, Koo is getting a lot of the points and they're not turning enough of that production into touchdowns. Um, so this is obviously an offense, like there's a reason college level offenses aren't usually played at the NFL level. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly other teams adjust to this, but it definitely looked like the New Orleans defense was not quite prepared for what this Mariota offense would look like. And they, I think they had zero sacks, basically were finding it very difficult to stop them until late in this game and how much of that's because they got better and figured it out and how much of that's just because Atlanta kind of shuttled up a bit and went to their shell a bit um, it's hard to tell um, uh, uh, on the other hand as I said Atlanta's defense the same they started well they got four sacks they were definitely making uh, Jameis Winston look uh, problematic he actually went out with an injury late enough, like quite late in this game um, due to all that pressure but despite being injured it almost he almost looked better once he got injured and he was and the pressure of the game was putting his back and he, he finally started finding Michael Thomas he started finding Jarvis Landry to move to chains and those two touchdowns to, to basically set up um, the winning drive uh, the Lutz, to, to set up there being a winning drive with Lutz at the end like he was loving it Michael Thomas was definitely loving being back and scoring touchdowns and kind of scoring classic Michael Thomas touchdowns in the red zone where he's kind of on the edge of the uh, on the uh, near the sideline and kind of doing toe tapping kind of stuff like that kind yeah. of stuff if they can replicate that things could get exciting here but you can't ignore three quarters of Taysom Hill being the only thing going on so look mm. it, it was a topsy-turvy classic NSC West weirdy weirdy game but you know uh, New Orleans get the win they have enough talent that maybe they, this is just kind of weird stuff going on uh, but I think Atlanta the big thing for them is they don't look terrible um, yeah. so at least they have something to build on towards the rest of the season yeah and uh, finally Sean and our, before we get to the dub pop we'll have a quick look at the, um, the Thursday Night Football Buffalo at Rams this was a fun but quite sloppy game uh 31 to 10 quite one-sided uh which is interesting because like buffalo had three turnovers here to the to the one that the rams had they were tied uh at the end of the first half like it was just very interesting allen looked great 300 yards three touchdowns apart from the interceptions and he ran for another touchdown um spread the ball around nicely finding all the receivers and that Matt Stafford just looked a little bit lost here, like 240 yards and touchdown, but three interceptions himself. Like they, for some reason, have decided that they don't care that they picked up Allen Robinson, uh, that they still just want to throw the ball entirely at Cooper Cup. I think Robinson had uh, one 
one pass in the first half which he caught and then he had the final pass of the of the game and that was it there was no other targets cup had 128 yards and a touchdown and the buffalo d had uh, three interceptions seven sacks and seven tackles for a loss it was tough sledding for the rams it's interesting to see now i would say that this is definitely a strong argument for getting rid of this weird we're never going to play any starters in the preseason because we don't need to risk them at that point because they looked cold coming into this game, did the Rams. Those Buffalo looked ready to roll. And if we're looking just from the storylines going into this, Buffalo are seen by many as the favourites for the AFC. The Rams are the defending champions, probably sitting up in the upper sections of most people's expectations or you know, running deep in the playoffs in the NFC. This looked like men versus boys in the second half in particular. Um, the Rams were just never at the races. Is this a coming in cold thing or is this something that uh, might give pause for backing the Rams to go much further down the line? I mean, there, there definitely is a question here about, I mean, this is where the kind of week one asterisk has to come out because the Bills look so good and they looked so fired up from the very first drive. Um, they were both sides of the ball they were at it constantly they were playing at their peak levels it was it was it, it was they looked like a kind of a late a kind of a playoff contender late in the season all of all the pieces in place they figured everything out and they were ready to go to their thing whereas the rams looked like a team in week one they looked like a team who still hadn't quite got all the pieces together there were mistakes being made all over the place as you say they hadn't quite figured out how to integrate alan robinson they were kind of defaulting to the way they were playing last season and and just didn't come together and i wonder if it's it is the contrast here i think maybe this narrative is less about the rams well, I, I don't think the rams were necessarily terrible i mean i think you know obviously matt stafford has his na- nasty interception habit back and we forget i think from this app because of the super bowl win how many interceptions he threw last season. i think he was the second highest interceptions in the entire league uh, last season he does do this a lot he does throw lots of interceptions he had a, he had a good few here um, we saw that the defense was kind of good in the first half, but maybe not necessarily all that good in the second half. Cup became far too much of a reliant in terms of the offense um, as the game went on. So the Rams were, they were just not, they were in week one, right? They were just not where they needed to be. They didn't come out firing. And maybe there is a bit of a problem here is they, you know, when you don't necessarily have a fan base. And so when you walk out as a champs in week one for the kind of the banner raising ceremony, it's supposed to be a big emotional thing. If you don't have any fans, if half the people in the stadium are Bills fans, it probably does deflate you a little bit and maybe they will get better season goals on but i think the real story is just how good the buffalo bills were they have lived up to the hype and if they can play like this they they could easily win every game they're they're definitely very strong super bowl contenders if they can play this well on both sides of the ball um josh allen looks like the complete package this evolution is just amazing to watch from the from the kind of uncertain guy who made loads of mistakes kind of first year second year turning into a guy in third year who was beginning to look like he was coming somewhere to now where he is now he just looks he looks like tom brady if you added a running game to him he's got the efficiency of tom brady he's got the field reading of tom brady he's got the decision making of tom brady but also he can run for 15 yards if that's the best and, option and the rocket going arm. on and the rocket I, He's, yeah, he's made. There's certain aspects he's maybe better than Brady. It's 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 incredible to watch this guy evolve, and he looks like he's really going to to be the, the leader of this team. The defense was was brilliant as well. Um, maybe the most impressive unit of the four units was the Bills defense. They had the shell defense set up to to contain the Rams' big plays, and then they were just aggressive when they needed to be. In- 
terms of getting the pressure on and exploiting the opportunities that arose. Von Miller had a very had a very big game. He's going to be very influential part of what's going on. Some sloppy turnover in terms of what the Bills need to, to work on. Some sloppy turnovers early. Not, not maybe maybe there are a bit of week one jitters to to work out in terms of that. Um, but other than that, it was just it was it was really impressive to see this happening in week one. If I saw this performance in week ten or week eleven against a fellow right uh, a fellow contender uh, a rival for the for the for the title i'd be like this bills team is here to play but to see this in week one straight off the bat it's it's really it's i i can't emphasize i don't it's hard to imagine i can't actually think from my memory of a team that's looked this good in week one and um, the question now is whether they can sustain it and whether when they get to their inevitable afc championship or divisional round game against the chiefs they still play at this level because if they do they're going to be a very very tough team to beat on any field uh, this season yeah, no, it was a very impressive performance from them. Uh, at this time, we're going to swap over to... Uh, we, we, we can't go through every single game, but uh, we will give you a bit of coverage on them all. So for all the other games, we're going to hand over to Fitz on the dump-off. Yeah, welcome to week one. Some games uh, definitely that deserve more consideration going into the dump-off here. I'm not, we're not going to say and We'll give you some respect later on. Some of these teams are probably involved in the game. We'll start off with probably the quintessential... Maybe we could talk about this more, but it probably deserves to be a dump-off game. Indianapolis at Houston, 20-20 to tie. Is there anything more dump-off than a tie? And this is this, this game put me into no more than the uh, Meaning of Life Monty Python restaurant scene with the extremely fat guy being offered one wafer-thin mint and then exploding everywhere. And that's how I felt about the football in this game. Just like, no, I don't need any more of this game. And yet they kept feeding more and more of this game until it exploded into an ugly tie. And, you know... I think, you know, what more could be quintessential about the Colts in this game than having a six uh, minutes and 30 second drive uh, and then to miss a field goal. And then Houston to choose in cowardice to settle for the punt on their final drive and settle for the tie. Like that's just- Punting with 20 seconds left at midfield on fourth and third. It's, uh, it's just so cowardly, I'm sorry. It's just, it's un- un- unforgivably cowardly. And Lovey Smith basically came out and said, we were lucky to be there, basically, and it's, a, it's better than a loss, basically. So, hey, like, objectively true, but, like, Indianapolis, like, and, like, that six minutes and so drive was quintessentially what Indianapolis do. They had empty yards all game. Like, they outplayed uh, Houston in terms of yards by at least 200 yards. They had over 500 yards, and yet they only managed 20 points, and most of that was in uh, towards the back end of this game. They had long drives that ended in field goals, long drives that ended in turnovers, long drives that ended over in turning it over on downs. It was just... You know, Pittman had a good game, over 100 yards of touchdown. Taylor had 175 yards in all purpose and a touchdown. You know, Ryan had two turnovers, but like he was getting yards and he was unlucky with a couple of drops early on. But yeah, just empty yardage. And then Houston were doing just enough to kind of keep the clock ticking over and build up that 20 to 30 lead um, that, you know, Indianapolis chipped away at basically using Jonathan Taylor. Um, like Bills. On, on the Houston side showed some flashes but you didn't see the makings of the consistent offense but like look it kind of looked like last year sometimes it looks good sometimes it looks bad I don't know if they have the franchise quarterback there but uh, it's better than I suppose they've, they've been used to sometimes in recent years and it's less morally problematic as well so that's something um, next up Billy at Detroit 38 to 35 scores a little bit misleading here like to be fair Philly needed a four minute drive to kill off this game but for most of this game Philly had Detroit at arm's length had two score leads altogether um and hurts he really really likes aj brown he immediately got his favorite toy involved 155 yards and hurts 
was effective as a passer. Like, he's great as a passer, but he was effective as a passer, 250 yards or so, and he had 90 yards rushing. He was the leading rusher for this team, and it was really a multi-headed rushing attack that was bringing in him, uh, Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell, and uh, Boston Scott at different times, and each of them actually got their own touchdown, so that's a nice uh, collection for that group. Um, and they just were able to run through the, the, the Detroit uh, defense all the time, whether that's right through them, whether that was off the RPO type of like, uh, action. They just seemed to have Detroit's number on the defense um, until quite late in this game where maybe they got a little more conservative. Like Detroit, to be fair to them, they showed the thing that Dan Campbell wants them to have, which is great. They never gave up despite being down many, many times in this game. And in DeAndre Swift, they have a guy who looks like a genuine superstar, 145 four yards and a touchdown. Uh, I'm sure his fans would prefer if Jamal Williams stopped vulturing some of the other touchdowns, but he looked really effective. Goff, look, he's Jared Goff. We know what he is at this point. He's very up and down. When he sees his read, he's got a great arm. He's very accurate, but when you confuse him, he's prone to making mistakes here. He had an interception here that wasn't great, um, but he, he's not, like, you know, you don't want to rely on him, but they don't have to rely on him. I think the defense, look, neither defense is going to get flowers here, but you can see the aspects that kind of work here, but it was just kind of one of those kind of knock-a-block games. I think it was exactly what we're kind of hoping for, that kind of gritty, uh, working class, you know, get at, knock him, sock him type of game, uh, which is lots of running, lots of fun, and an entertaining game overall. A game that was close, but I, I wouldn't probably consider that entertaining, was the Giants at Tennessee. Um, you know, I call this the worst game last week, or the least interesting game, and look, it was more interesting than I expected, but it still was a little bit weird. Like, Bullock misses a 47-yard uh, kick, kick that could have won the game for Tennessee after they basically... Um, gave out true away at 0 to 13 halftime lead. Um, but the Giants found the thing that worked, and it's Saquon Barkley. Once again, I'm like, he's going to be the, the biggest disappointment this year. I'm already looking like an idiot there, but nearly 200 yards and a touchdown, and that was enough to keep Danny Dimes okay and up and standing for the second half. He had a really ugly interception in the fourth quarter that looked like Tennessee would give Tennessee the win, um, but he came back from it, and, and, and along with Thanks mostly to Barkley, to be honest, but he kept the clock ticking along and he made the two-point conversion that, controversially, one might say, um, Brian Dayball went for in game one. Like The analytics probably says don't take a two-point conversion when there's a minute left in the clock, but hey, it worked out in the end because of Randy Bullock's miss. Um, I think for Tennessee, big warning signs. Tannehill, a bit better than last year, but still looks a bit only adequate, in my opinion. King Henry looked a little slow. Like, he can take the... He took a lot of carries and he was still, like, okay, but not the kind of dominant King Henry effect. Now, we usually guy gets better towards the end of the season, but definitely a thing to keep an eye on that he might have lost a step. And the Tennessee defensive line looked good. Um, five sacks, six tackles for a loss, so the, the loss of Harlandry doesn't seem to affect them too much, but the defensive backs, they're looking very iffy right now. This is a team that, you know, gave up a lot of yards um, through the run game and a lot of yards laid on through the pass game, so something to keep an eye on there. So Tennessee, not that inspiring, let's be honest, and a tough loss for them and that they really shouldn't have had. Speaking of teams who shouldn't have lost, San Francisco at Chicago, 10-19. Um, basically, Chicago didn't hope show up for the entire first half, basically had zero offense. But in the second half, because San Francisco could take advantage of them, admittedly in really tough conditions, a lot of rain and wind, uh, but they basically allowed Justin Fields enough time to get into this game and win the game uh, by, by nine points in the end. Um, and it wasn't like, like Fields was under pressure all day, even during the latter parts, but if he if he if he lived long enough to escape the pressure there was usually a guy wide open the first touchdown was particularly egregious in terms of the other defense the defense basically completely forgetting that dante pettis existed he used to be on your team you probably should remember him somewhat um and the other scores basically came off massive busts by the san francisco defense so just huge concerns there about the defensive end of this team um and look fields is a guy who can run around and make plays and russell wilson's kind of stuff but 
yeah, like against a team like this, it shouldn't really have happened. I think for San Francisco offense, big concerns. There's no consistency with Trey Lance. He's not making the consistent, like, you know, chain-moving plays. He's obviously showing his talent in the run game. He looks like a weapon in that sense. But once uh, Elijah Mitchell went out of this game and Jeff Wilson came in, the run game became a lot more pedestrian and everything else started to slow down a bit and everything else started to fall apart. And I don't think that would have been as true if you had Jimmy G in there. So, you know, obviously the future of this franchise is with Trey Lance, but he needs to buck up. Tough conditions, we'll admit, with the weather, but this is a game that San Francisco had no right to be losing considering how bad Chicago were for the majority of this game. San Francisco need to cut out the mistakes and cut out the flag and get back on track. Green Bay at Minnesota, one of the most surprising blowouts of the week, 23-7 in favour of Minnesota. Justin Jefferson looking like a prime time, Randy Moss just absolutely destroying the Green Bay defence at will as Kevin O'Connell gets the Kirk Cousins tuned up and Dalvin Cook had a nice day with over 100 yards as well. Aaron Rodgers on the other hand looked completely lost and very, very annoyed as, you know, early on Christian Watson, the rookie wide receiver, drops a 75-yard touchdown. Aaron Rodgers isn't happy about that. Aaron Rodgers also isn't happy about his offensive line being shit at the moment due to a bunch of injuries to guys like Elton Jenkins. And he was getting pissed at the end. And I think he made a few poor choices because of that. I think he tried to have a block on Zadarius Smith, the uh, former edge defender for the Green Bay. And Zadarius Smith was having none of that shit. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, Zadarius Smith had a good game by himself, by the way. And the Minnesota defense looked okay, but this was very much a story of the Green Bay offense not doing anything. I don't think the Minnesota defense has suddenly become dominant or anything. But... Uh, Interesting times in the NFC North and for a Green Bay team. But, like, they had a really bad week one last year, so we'll see if Green Bay have actually gone down the toilet or not. Next up, probably the dumbest game of the week, Jacksonville at Washington, 22-28. to Wentz was very Carson Wentz. He had four touchdowns, 300 yards, all very good, and was you know, scored the touchdown that won them this game. But he was also the reason that they had two turnovers that allowed Jacksonville to take the lead in this game when Washington had a big lead um, throughout the first half and, 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 and into the third quarter. You know, big plays to guys like uh, Gibson and Dotson showed some flashes as well. And Curtis Samuel even showed up and Scary Terry had a few nice moments as well. So, you know, all the things that looked good were really good, but the things that looked bad were really bad. So that's just going to be Carson Wentz, apparently. On the other hand, for Jacksonville, like Lawrence looked better than last year. It was hard for him not to be. He looked like he actually understood what's happening. His receivers had a lot of stone hands early in this game, but they sorted that out. And the guys like Kirk ended up with over 100 yards. So you're seeing flashes there. You're seeing potential. And they seem like a team that's actually, you know, improvement almost seems certain in their future. Whereas for Washington, it feels like they're going to be swirling around and doing random noise uh, for the entirety of the season and for seasons to come if they have Carson Wentz there. Uh, shout out to Trayvon Walker. Really good debut for the number one overall pick. He had an interception on a screen. He had a sack. He looked dominant. We'll see how he goes on the rest of the year. Next up, Kansas City at Arizona. A pretty no hill, no problem for Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes coming out here with his multi-headed attack, albeit still headed by Kelsey with 121 yards and touchdown. You know, 480 yards, never sacked, never turned over. Five TDs from Patrick Mahomes. It's it's basically Patrick Mahomes time, and his Arizona defense which we talked about, seems like a major problem for that team. On the other hand, Kyler looked lost, like he looked in the playoffs last year. Uh, two touchdowns, but basically in garbage time. Didn't really get the rushing game going. And, you know, if they don't have DeAndre Hopkins coming back for another five games, you wonder how bad things could get for this team, who just paid a lot of money to all of the major actors involved. Uh, maybe some cost problems going on there. Next up, Sunday Night Football, 19-3, Tampa Bay at Dallas pretty much a Tampa Bay choking out at Dallas for the entirety of prime time. Touchdown Tom, not his best game by far, only 200 yards, a TD and an interception. 
um, but it didn't really matter because his run game was working with Fernando having 137 yards and the defense was absolutely dominating Dak, uh, Dak in the Dallas offense even before Dak went out with an injury you know an interception four sacks seven tackles for loss and only around 200 yards a lad this was just depressing if you were a Dallas fan um, Dak was off his game he's now injured their wide receiver core is basically you know very weak and I think CD Lamb might have a slight knock as well the offensive line is very makeshift even more so with Connor Govern injury yeah, the defense is okay, but uh, not many positive notes for the Dallas team facing this game or going forward. Uh, next, New England at Miami, 7-20. Miami assert dominance over New England, let's be honest, in this game. They probably could have scored more if they needed to. Um, but Tua looked to be kind of tuning up his new toys. Hill had nearly 100 yards, Edmonds 65 yards. Waddle had a killer touchdown towards the end of the first half that killed this game off as a contest. New England showed some things in the second half ineffectively garbage time the run game started to get going but the first half was putrid Mac obviously dealing with back didn't look himself and major concerns there but the turnovers were the big reason why Miami were able to counter this game if they can clean that up maybe they can get into more close games and maybe be a factor but Miami looked like a better team in all facets and there's now two teams in this uh, division that definitively look better than the Patriots right now that has to be a concern and then finally the, the biggest blowout of the week uh, in, in realistic terms was Baltimore at the Jets 24-9 you know, Baltimore were better in this, this game throughout, but Lamar was having his initial struggles because the Jets were obviously had learned from last year. You do the kind of controlled blitz where you hold Lamar in the pocket. But Lamar, to be fair to him, as the game went on, realized, okay, if they're going to do that, they don't have enough guys in coverage. And if they're not blitzing me aggressively, I should throw the ball. And he did. And he found uh, Devin Duvernay and he found uh, Rashad Bateman for a couple few touchdowns to make this game a non-contest overall. And, you know, without the run game, Lamar showed flashes, albeit against probably a bad defense, that he can use his arm. If he can keep doing that, that's the additional factor that they need to, you know, complete him as a as the quarterback that he wants to be paid as. Um, as for the Jets, uh, completely suffocated by the Baltimore defense, they give away a touchdown, uh, two uh, one of them uh, two turnovers, one of them a touchdown, three sacks, three tackles for a loss. Blacko just looked lost behind the makeshift defensive line, and the only real positive light for them is Michael Carter looks good, um, and and apparently will be playing over Brees Hall for the moment. Um, the D better but still maybe an average defensive bet. but uh, yeah not much hope for Jets fans at the moment and unfortunately that's what happens when you're at the bottom of the dump off. Excellent let's go and have a look at the games for next week. Okay, so first up we have Thursday Night Football. This is my pick of the week. Uh, the LA Chargers coming to the Kansas City Chiefs. We've gone for the Chiefs across the board. Um, yes, Mahomes versus Herbert, both playing very well at the moment. As we said, um, Kind of, we, we discussed a little bit of this during the game. The Chargers kind of fell off a little bit in their game against the Raiders. Whether that's just that they kind of thought that they could relax at that point, uh, we'll see. There's obviously the impact of Keenan Allen possibly missing time as well in this game. But the one thing I will, I will note is that it was incredibly positive as the Chiefs' performance was against the Arizona Cardinals. That was a team that was having... I would say significant problems on defense. Uh, I can't imagine that the this, this Chargers team are going to have the same kind of problems. They have a much better pass rush. They have much better secondary. Uh, so it should pose a little bit more of a of a challenge. Uh, I would imagine it to be a far more competitive game. Also, this is a Chargers team that uh, Allen being out will be an issue for it. But like you know, there are weaknesses on the Chiefs' defense. They played particularly well. They got a lot of pressures. They're getting a lot of stuff from their defensive line. But there are weaknesses. It's quite a young secondary. Um, there's probably stuff to be made up there for them, particularly through the passing game. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I I 
do very much think the Chiefs are going to win. I think the short weekend, I think the short turnaround helps them quite a lot. I think they're at home and that helps quite a lot. I also think that the, the Chiefs were able to just switch off for the second half of that match. Like They benched Mahomes. Uh, they were not bothering to show anything interesting. I think they've got a lot of stuff saved up, whereas I do think the Chargers had to uh, had to turn back on and put a little bit more into the game against the Raiders. It's a big one, though, because like you, if they could come down and lay down a marker and actually beat the Chiefs here in this game, it would be great for them, for their prospects at the division and stuff, particularly to beat them at KC. Um, my problem is, like, Mahomes was practically perfect in the last game. The running game is starting to look really good for the Chiefs. The blocking schemes seem to be working. They're getting production out of everyone. Um it's a it's it's a it's a more difficult job to, to 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 guard everyone whenever you're spreading it out this much. So I I find it hard to see past the Chiefs, but this is a very talented Chargers team and if they come correct, they could very much cause the upset. I mean, it feels to me like this is going to be a one-score game. I think we've got two really good teams who have shown themselves in week one that they are at the top end of the AFC. Um, they've got a, a lot of history. Obviously, divisional rivals will know each other quite well. I think we're going to see a bit of a shootout going back and forth. I mean, i got to give props to the NFL. The, the Chargers-Chiefs has historically been the best Thursday night game. They, I remember at least distinctly three classic Thursday night games that the Chiefs and Chargers have played. So it's so a props to the NFL for realizing that and getting getting us one um, early. I mean, I don't, I actually don't want to call it. I mean, I, I put down that I think the Chiefs are going to win on the spreadsheet, but I think this could go either way. I literally think this is going to be a last possession wins kind of situation. Whoever gets the ball with like a minute 30 left is going to win this game because it, I feel it's going to be a shootout. Mahomes and Herbert have shown what they can do. I mean, it's it's really impressive what Mahomes and, and Reed seem to be putting together. The ability to transition on from Tyreek Hill this quickly is, is one of the most impressive storylines coming out of week one. And obviously I've talked a lot about how good I think the charges are on both sides of the ball. So I'm just going to look forward to a really good game and whoever gets the ball last, I think is going to win this one. Yeah, like, obviously, you know, Jags, Titans is the quintessential Thursday night football game. But, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind a few more Chiefs Chargers, I'll be honest. But, uh, yeah, like, I think the big thing for me in this game is to keep an eye on is if the upgraded Chargers defense is actually an upgrade or they just went against one of the worst offensive lines in football in the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, Casey have a good off offensive line, particularly in the run game. Um, so are they going to get gashed like they did in the run game last year? keep an eye on that i think it's a really important thing and look i think even if they the defense does well Mahomes is so good that they'll still score points but you know are they at least if they're not the disaster they were last year i guess something to keep an eye on yeah next up uh the jets take on cleveland in a game that everyone has already forgotten about uh we've taken cleveland across the board what do you think ronan yeah just keep running the ball both teams and that's your probably your best hope but unfortunately cleveland are better at that and well, I don't know if Jacoby Brissett is actually better than Flacco. At least he has an offensive line. At least he has hope. And uh, at least he has a, a defense like the Jets already looked on after week one. Um, but, like, look, it's week two. Anything can happen. But uh, based on week one, I just can't give the Jets any wins against anyone at right now. Yeah. Next up, uh, what we'll call the battle for the really, they got the seventh seed, uh, New England at Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, we've gone for Pittsburgh across the board here. Um, these are two teams that, 
currently don't seem to have the most functioning offenses. Although I must say, like the the the, the, the Pats did matriculate it pretty well. It's just they kind of kept making mistakes in the end zone and that first touch, like, like that that first turnover should have definitely not been a turnover. There was a very clear hold on it. But um, yeah, this is this is going to be a defensive match. Pittsburgh are obviously missing T.J. Watt for it, but I think just overall they have the more talent on the defense. Uh, it's just going to be a very grim war of attrition here. But you know, if you like your defensive football, this will be one for the purists it's a grinder of a game all right grind 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 on both sides of the ball and obviously keep an eye on pittsburgh to see how much the defense takes a step down without tj watt he looked superstar level uh obviously a week one against cincinnati and you know obviously they were hyped up for a division rival uh new england yeah like it depends whether you believe they they kind of were sorting things out in the second half or miami just took the you know the the foot off the pedal and it was kind of pseudo garbage time but yeah, New England definitely need to find something, but against a Mitch Trubisky-led offense, which is unlikely to score a lot of points, they definitely have a shot here. Yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh have a little bit more right now to, to like, even with the TJ Watt injury, in my opinion. I'm actually surprised that we're all Pittsburgh that like there's not a split on this one. I I just I just can't. I, I watched <laughs> my first half against the Dolphins. I was like, my my kind of best case scenario. Let's be optimistic about this. Is maybe Bill gets this turnaround by like week six because that's what it feels like. It feels like this is the Pats. You know, their their historical slow start. Their traditional take the first four weeks to to build up, but they're doing it from a much lower base than they've done before. That it's gonna it, it's yeah. It's difficult to see them winning a game until at least week five or week six, the way they were playing, especially in that first half against the Dolphins. And with Mac injured a little bit and playing through an injury and the alternative is Brian Hoyer, I mean, it's... I mean, I would almost take Trubisky in, in, that, in that situation. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think, the, pit, I, I think the, the Steelers' defense is the strongest unit here, and I think even without TJ Watt, they will dominate the game, and it's hard to see the Pats. Even with the Steelers not scoring a lot, it's hard to see the the Pats scoring more than them. Um, yeah. But I hope I'm wrong. But I, I really, it almost feels like I shouldn't watch the Pats until about week six or seven, the way they're playing at the moment. Now, next up, Indianapolis at Jacksonville. Me and Fitz have gone for Indy. You've gone for Jacksonville, Sean. Uh, yes, is it because you just I, love I re- watching receivers with stone hands? I refuse I refuse to give up on this hype, Jacksonville hype. I've, I've been on the Jacksonville train since the previews. And I'm like, they, there were moments, there were moments in the Washington game where they looked quite good and Trevor Lawrence has taken a bit of a step up yes their receivers can't catch passes which is obviously a bit of a problem but um I mean you know you, <laughs> you look you look at um Ronan has just put tie into into the spreadsheet which That's uh, a dangerous captures, call, captures like how we it. feel about this for sure if you if you, if you um, call if you call that correctly we'll give you triple points <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. I just think there's more more potential upside to this Jag side. They they look like they're they're at least trying in week one, trying to work things out. It didn't quite go so well. They got beat in the end by just some good passing and some good catching from Washington. I mean, Dotson's uh, pass catch was just a in, in really incredible catch. Um, so I, I mean, I think the Jags are still me up for it. I think they now sense maybe at least I sense as a kind of a, a, a Jag supporting you know neutral is they sense the division is there for the taking i mean the titans didn't look great the the texans don't look great the colts look incredibly mediocre that it's there for the jags to win it if they can get a, a good run together and they'll really be coming for it for the colts i mean 
they have the talent to be a lot better than they were in week one, but I just there's some feeling about this team in, in my mind they just do not inspire confidence. They feel a little bit Vikings-y to me in the sense that, yeah, they can have the good players, but they don't know how to put it together Greatest and you just crime. don't want to rely upon them. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a situation where Matt Ryan isn't, doesn't has, hasn't changed all that much, I think, and Indy are going to kind of trundle along through the season, win eight or nine games. But definitely the Jags, if they come at them, they can win this one. There's no greater crime for Sean than being Vikings. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miami at Baltimore. Um, yeah, this would be... See, I'm intrigued. I'm not. I'm not because no. Tua is fucking terrible. Like there was no. I, you were way too nice about them in the in your in your in your dump off there. Tua was terrible. All of the completed passes he made were behind his players. He had no awareness of what he was doing. This Baltimore team are going to absolutely fucking destroy them. Yeah, but keep it like this game is the weird game where people figured out Lamar Jackson last year, where they were doing the eight man blitzes and Baltimore seemed to have no answer to it and that has been pulled out a number of times by other teams and it's been successful a lot against Lamar and obviously I don't I expect Miami will probably try it again uh, this year uh, this this week and I think the interesting thing is like we saw Lamar finally step up and throw a few deep throws and you know the one-on-one chances that obviously come from those kind of aggressive blitzes but the difference is like it's, it's you know one thing against the Jets kind of like guys like uh, DJ Reed or whatever like that but you know Miami have a pretty solid secondary Byron Jones is out so that gives them some chance I suppose but you know they have Xavier and Howard out there um, but Lamar you know there's a book out on Lamar. He needs to prove that he can solve the book. And Miami will definitely offer up because why wouldn't they? Like, they worked last year. Why not do it again, even with a different coaching staff? But there's, know, a book, going... there's a book out on two, and it's just be an NFL team that's vaguely competent and play against him. Yeah, but I think you underestimate how shook Lamar looked like last year. That was a dominant win for Miami, despite the fact they had Tua, and the offense mm. didn't look that good. But it didn't matter because the Baltimore Ravens literally had nothing to do against it. We'll see. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think this is even Lamar close. Can earn his money and do it. <laughs> I don't uh, think this is like, going to be close. I wouldn't underestimate Miami. Like I get that the Tua is still leaning into his weapons, but those weapons are explosive. He doesn't have to be good to make Tyreek Hill look good, to make Jalen Waddle look good, to make Chase Edmonds look good. Those mm. guys are just good. Get them the ball, and they will make plays for you. I just I don't think they look good last week, like, <laughs> which is a very different interpretation of Miami's performance in week one. Like, uh, what do you think, Sean? Uh, I mean, I it's hard to judge. I mean, I thought Miami were were better than I they they I thought they would. Uh, Tyreek Hill seems to have slotted into that offense a lot more smoothly than you know the preseason made us believe that they would. So I mean, certainly the Dolphins look a little bit harder than I thought they were. But I, I really like this Ravens team. I think they're they're coming together. Um, obviously, I've, I've been a big fan of their coaching for a long time. I mean, the, the question, as, as Fitz says, is whether t- sometimes teams come with a plan to, to beat Lamar and sometimes uh, it works and sometimes, you know, he, he has great games. I mean, it is that kind of question. If the Dolphins come with a plan, then the Ravens could be in trouble. But but I just have to believe that the Ravens are a more talented team um, on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, and, yeah, I just have to believe they'll get it done at home because the Dolphins are still... Still, I mean, there's there's a caveat with the Dolphins' performance, and they were playing what I think is quite a poor Pats team, um, and they even then they they looked they looked comfortable, but they didn't look dominant. Um, yeah. So that would be that would be a worry there. Yeah. Next up, an absolute joy of a game: Carolina at the Giants. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Carolina. Fitz has gone for the Giants. Uh, this is just Saquon versus Christian McCaffrey. Um, hopefully. That means it's a nice quick game. I'm hoping they're going to use <laughs> Christian McCaffrey a lot this time. Saquon looked good the last one, but like 
yeah, like don't expect a huge amount of anything too too outside the box here. Just expect a lot of running, some okay plays on defense here and there. But I would imagine that this would be kind of a mid mid to upper scoring with a lot of running. That's it. Um, run, I'm, run, run the damn ball, the game. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. Me and Sean are picking Christian McCaffrey over Saquon. That's pretty much it. Uh, next up is Sean's pick of the week: Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Uh, I've gone for New Orleans. You guys have gone for Tampa Bay. Sean, tell me about why. Uh, is it is it is it not is it just Sean Payton rather than New Orleans that we're always beating Tom Terrific? It's it's going to be an interesting one because yeah, if there's any team which has a, like a, like a voodoo kind of thing, uh, a curse on Tom Brady, it is the the Saints. I mean, the the nine zero game will will live on in the memory and will always be a thing that is probably held against Brady being the best of all time. Um, obviously, it's a different Saints team now. Things have changed a little bit in terms of the coaching. A little bit changed the way they're playing as well. But the, the, the books look a little bit different too. Obviously, Brady seems to be taking a step back. Maybe he's finally listened to Giselle and is going to keep himself out of harm's way as much as possible for this final season. Um, it's, it seems to be all running game. It seems to be all defense. It seems to be just kind of keep it safe and do what needs to be done. So it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams come up against each other because I mean I, I have a sense that the books are playing more conservatively than they usually do, which maybe means that they're less exploitable as an offense. Um, that they'll just kind of chug along and get the 21, 22 points or whatever. And then it's the question, what happens on the Saints offensively? And obviously then it falls down to which Jameis shows up. Does does the, you know, the 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 the, the shackled Jameis turns up who can, you know, throw for five touchdown passes but doesn't get over 200 yards? Or does the Jameis shows up who throws away six interceptions in a game? Um, so, I mean, I think it's very open there. I think what, like I said last week, what about the, the Tampa Bay Dallas, it tells us a lot about where these teams are going and their chances. I think this tells us an awful lot about it, where the, the floor of the books are and where the ceiling of the Saints are. If the Saints can beat the books, that means the Saint the books are definitely not as good as we think they are. and They might struggle this season, whereas the Saints might actually be, be a playoff contender. But if the books are comfortable here, then I think we can, we can file the, the Saints away, take away that comeback against the Falcons and say, yeah, you've got a comeback winning against the Falcons, but also you were down 16 points to the Falcons at one point and say that the, the books seem to, you know, that they, they just, they know how to tick all the boxes and get enough wins, how to go. So so I think it's one, again, one of these results which would tell us a lot about how these teams go on. And I, w- I mean, I would not be surprised if the Saints managed to find a way, but I just think, I, I think the Bucks without Peyton, I, I think without Peyton on the other side, I think with the the Bucks the way they're changing the play to not rely on Tom so much, I think they'll, they'll have enough to get it done. It's going to be a strange game. These games always are, but in particular, the the last year or two, like with, with the Brady Peyton kind of era, has been particularly strange. And obviously, New Orleans have had the advantage during that period. But like Tom Brady didn't look fully Tom Brady last week. He didn't need to be, so maybe he was just like resting. But obviously, we know there are many reports swirling that his wife wanted him to retire, and he decided not to. And he obviously took a fair amount of the like the preseason off to get surgery to keep his wife happy. We have no idea. So things are just well, a little we've, bit we've, weird we've seen there. we've seen pictures of him. It was very clearly plastic surgery. Yeah, but is that why he took two weeks off, or was that just like a <laughs> part of it? But like you know, and you have Bruce Arians like talking about golfing in the in the executive suite, and you know, just it's kind of just a weird situation for Tampa Bay last year. Like the whole thing has gone on a little bit longer than anyone thinks it should have, but everyone just you know, everyone's just kind of like, okay, you keep doing you. And New Orleans is just a chaos bowl right now with the Jameis Winston experiment. You know, 
failing completely for three quarters and then exploding for a quarter. The defense being absolutely trash against Atlanta Falcons. Like, it's just a really weird situation for them. The things that used to be good for them are now bad, and things that used to be great for them are now, uh, like, the things were bad are now good. It's, yeah, they're weird. So this game, it's really hard to call, but it'll be at least interesting at yeah. the very least. No, it should be should should be one like you said. There'll be lots of just just stra- strategically how they go at each other is going to be very interesting. Uh, Washington Detroit, we've gone for Detroit across the line. Uh, just just grit, baby, grit. Is that it, Roland? Yeah, just just grit, gritty grit, gritness. You know, like well, they're not Philly, I suppose. They don't have. That's why Philly won because they have gritty, obviously, in the city. Mm. Philadelphia today are the grit masters but yeah like look if the, the, the Tampa Bay and New Orleans is kind of interesting dumb this is just dumb dumb like two of the dumbest quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of their situational awareness that like expect turnovers in this game uh, unless either team can just rely on the run to do most of the work for them Carson Wentz up and down Jared Geff up and down so it's really kind of Antonio Gibson versus DeAndre Swift in terms of getting a significant capacity out of them but like it's kind of weird because the receiving course routines are actually pretty good but yeah like it's kind of just weird all over and the defense for Washington better-ish than last year but still not great and Detroit got absolutely hammered by Philly but like I think Detroit got beat by a good team Washington just barely beat what's probably still at best the middling team so I think we all believe in the Detroit hype so we'll give them one more chance to prove us right yeah next up Arizona at Las Vegas uh this is an interesting one because like okay so like there's no strength on strength in this game there's just like Weakness on weakness. Weakness on weakness. Like, it's, you know, it's going to be Devontae Adams going against the secondary that doesn't know how to cover, like, anyone. And, yeah, like, like, Arizona's terrible pass rush against Las Vegas' terrible line. Like, I just, yeah... If there was ever a game for like JJ Watt to prove he still got it, this would probably be the one to do it because based on what we saw last week, like Marcus Golden uh, by himself is probably not enough to take advantage of one. one is is really is Watt going to be back this week? Do we know? Well, that's it. Like if he, if he if he makes it back, this will be. He's questionable right now, so there's a chance. But uh, if he comes back he could look really good but that's because this offensive line is terrible and it doesn't really like I think Vegas can live with that because to be fair the car Adams thing does work and they have the Rogers level relationship so the ball isn't going to the ball you don't have to keep the boot ball too long to make that work but you know everything else in the offense is kind of like a bit wibbly wobbly and their defense looked raw against the, the Vegas like the Chargers like Better than expected, but to a certain extent, it felt like the Chargers charging and not having Allen. Um, but Arizona, they look completely lost against the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league, likely. So, you know, how much are they actually just bad? But, like, that defense looks bad. The offense looks where it was for the... They look like a second half of the season Arizona offense. So maybe Cliff Kingsbury has just run out of ideas even to get the good first half of the season. So, like, Vegas at least had things that worked last week. Arizona just looked lost. So that's probably why we're all picking the Vegas Raiders in this game. Yeah, if you want to see just how bad some of the Arizona stuff was, there's um, the arsehole uh, coach from, I think, the second season of Last Chance U has just, like, posted videos of himself, like, breaking down the lack of understanding of what a court, like, of, of what Kyler Murray was meant to be doing and how, like, he missed clear rushers, he wouldn't adjust routes. Like, it was, yeah, it, when that guy is sitting at home drunk and able to point out what you're not seeing, it's it's not a good look for you. Uh, next up, Sean, we've got Atlanta at the LA Rams. Rams are at home again and hoping to not drop to 0-2. Uh, will Atlanta be the, the little snack to get them right back on track? 
Well, I mean, this is the theory. This is the, the get-right game, right? The Rams had, obviously, a very tough start playing possibly the best team in the NFL, Little, and they were a little bit off the pace, and therefore they, they got creamed. The idea of being now that they play a t- beatable team, they can do the things they did last season. They were, they were to a certain extent, flat-track bullies last season. They did beat up on bad teams and struggled a bit against good teams until the playoffs when they finally got into their groove. So you would expect something similar here. Maybe we'll finally see Allen Robinson being integrated into this offense a bit more. Maybe Stafford will feel a bit more comfortable not having to throw to Cooper Cup all the time against a team that, that he's not worried about losing to. Um, but then, I mean, so it, it, this should be a, an easy win for the Rams. I mean, the big question, the big kind of X factor here is the Falcons. We thought they were terrible, but they might not be that terrible. Yeah. I mean, if if they'd won this the game against the Saints, there would be a, a narrative being like the Falcons are better than we thought, and they they could do some damage. I mean, Mariota didn't look too bad. I mean, they they they, they, they look spirited at times. They, yeah, they let it all collapse because that's what the Falcons do. But there's definitely is a, a kernel of a decent team there that if they if they and the Rams are a bit of a confidence team where they, when things are going well they'll crush you, but it's, as soon as things start going badly they 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 get stifled a bit. If they say the Falcons score the first touchdown here, or they get up maybe, maybe you know ten points or something, then the Rams could fall apart quite easily. I could see that definitely. But if that most in most scenarios, most universes, this is a comfortable win for the Rams. But I could definitely see the scenario in which the Falcons shake things up and the Rams fall fall into a pile of goo. Yeah. Next up, Cincinnati at Dallas. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. Jack's gone. Like we said, it's going to be Cooper Rush there. Um, yeah, it's very hard to look past Cincinnati in this scenario. Burrow hopefully gets back on track. They were look, looking a little bit better towards the back end of that, but still couldn't kind of get much going in the, in the overtime. But I'm guessing that's more to do with how good the Pittsburgh defense is and also that, like, like we said, week one, shaking the rust off. Rust's off now. The only downside is if to travel down to this game, but like, I can't imagine Cooper Rush is going to lead Dallas to victory. No, you can't, you can't see it. I mean, this is the thing the Cowboys... Once you take Dak out, you realize how important he was to this team. That because without him, they really don't have anything at all. I mean, this game is going to be. I think it's going to be a comfortable Bengals win. But I think the things that are going to be quite interesting to to watch. One is, does this Bengals O line get better in the second week when they start to to work things together, especially say facing people like Micah Parsons and stuff? What's going to happen there? Secondly, Burrow in terms of throwing, obviously people like Trayvon Diggs are are kind of interception hunters. Does Burrow get his groove back? Does he kind of spread the ball a bit more? How reliant is he on chase? I think this is a good game to see where the Bengals are in terms of getting their kind of shit together um, because I don't think Dallas is going to put up much of a challenge whatsoever, but there are specific parts of the Dallas team they're facing that could be interesting to see how, how Cincinnati plans to play this year. Yeah, Houston at Denver. Uh, we've gone for Denver across the board here. Like, Houston looked okay, but, like, also cowards um denver looked dicey uh but you'd kind of hope that they'd have it a little bit more together also like they'll be at home like when they're at home they're maybe more likely to make those 64 yard <laughs> field goals than whenever they're on the road um run the ball with Javante yeah. Williams. just do it this is it like they should they should be able to manage this with just running the ball utilizing like because like i said they got the outside passing game going fine like it should it it should be a Denver win, but to be honest, like I said, I'm I'm unconvinced with the Russell Wilson thing. I still think he's good, but I don't think he's as good as 
they think he was and what they gave up for him. So we'll see how it goes. And uh, run with Damon Pierce, you cowards. Um, next up, <laughs> Seattle at San Francisco. Ronan, this is, uh, you know, Gino Smith Gino, Gino, bringing you down Gino, to Gino. battle a divisional rival. That I'm trying to remember the, the rock, paper, scissors, your division. San Francisco always beat you, right? Uh, no, they always beat the Rams. Oh, they always beat the Rams. I, I, yeah, I always get confused, but yeah. So do you yeah. think he's going to manage it? Uh, according to our predictions, I don't think any of us do. Objectively, no, it shouldn't work. But objectively, they shouldn't have won Monday Night Football. So what does objective mean at all? It's and San Francisco football. probably shouldn't have lost to the Bears. Either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's just week one was weird, and both these teams will assert where we think they are. San Francisco, a good team, Seattle, uh, a bottom team but you know you can't dismiss the fact that in week one San Francisco's offense looked peda- like looked pedestrian particularly once um, Mitchell went out Mitchell's not going to be in this game is Jeff Wilson going to make it up are they going to get a young guy involved there we'll see is Trey Lance going to show up and actually be an effective passer like I get it. Like in Chicago, it was basically a, a squall, and he didn't have an opportunity to really show his stuff. But they put him in a lot of risky situations. He got hit a lot. He didn't look comfortable within the offense. So he's got to step up if this team's going to have any hope of living up to expectations. As for Seattle, the expectations are so low that you know even if they keep it competitive, people will probably be happy enough. But like, look, Geno Smith looked great for one half. Then he was decommissioned by Pete Carroll. So one has to ask: Is that because? You know, is Geno Smith when fully unleashed an unstoppable beast of football proportions? Maybe not. Probably not. Almost certainly not. But it could be true. And so there's always <laughs> hope for the Seattle Seahawks in week two that they get their traditional beat against the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, yeah, look, San Francisco should win, but uh, they should have won week one. So we'll see. Yeah. Next up, Chicago at Green Bay. Um, Chicago got a win in the torrential downpours in kind of uh, unusual circumstances. Green Bay completely shited the bed. Uh, so it's a hard one to, to see, but Aaron Rodgers, Sean, do you think he can still manage to, to put the hurt on a Chicago team that was a bit surprising last week? I mean, this is the thing. If if Aaron Rodgers, after having a, a really sucky week one where he realizes his team is not as good as it used to be, was able to pick his week two game, which the ideal game would be, would be the home game against the Bears because he's really good at home and he's really good against the Bears. And I mean, this is the kind of game where it doesn't really matter whose receivers are as long as they can catch the ball, which I mean, Christian Watson aside, that presumably they can, um, it, it's going to be enough. I mean, I think... Okay, Chicago beat a, a big team last week. Um, a lot of that was probably was the weather. I don't think they're that good. They look really awful in the first half. Um, I don't when they they, they they didn't score a single point. They look really awful offensively. I'm still not convinced this Bears team is is anything to write home about whatsoever. And even though this Packers team obviously has a huge de, de, Devontae Adams shaped hole in it, I still think there's there's enough talent there with Rodgers. I mean, he'll get Lazard going. He'll find some other people to catch the ball. He'll he'll kick the rookies up the ass a bit until they, they learn how to catch. Um, I think I think this is the ideal game. If the Packers were going into a week two game against the Rams or the Bills or, you know, the Bucks or something, they would be a very interesting game. But this game is exactly what this Green Bay team needs to get back on track. And I, I imagine they might put up a big score while doing so. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about that one. Uh, Sunday Night Football, Tennessee at Buffalo. We've gone Buffalo across the board here. Uh, yeah, uh, we've discussed this a couple of times. Buffalo looked absolutely brilliant. Tennessee did not look particularly good. They lost to the Giants. They want to kind of go. And it's a pity. I just I was having a quick look at their schedule. They don't play the Jets, so they can't complete losing to all of the New York teams. But uh, 
Yeah, it's very hard to see this Tennessee team being able to go up to Buffalo and actually manage to pull this off um, yeah, at the all. Way, the only way they're going to do it is if their line has a kind of game against Cincinnati because they even lost that game. But like they, like the line, their their defensive line needs to dominate the Buffalo offensive line, which is pretty good but not great. Like otherwise, I just yeah, I say I don't see a right for Tennessee to win this game. To be honest, Buffalo, I Josh I... Allen just looks fucking brilliant right now he really does and finally Monday Night Football this is your pick of the week uh, Minnesota at Philadelphia god we have to talk about Minnesota hope you're alright there Sean um, yeah <laughs> Philly like Philly hype Sean versus uh, versus Justin Jefferson tell this us about it an- this is the anti-Sean game like I-, I have a love for these kind of like wild cardy teams that at least have a bit of spice to them these are the type of things that Sean just like hates basically and he's even picked the Minnesota Vikings over Philly that's how much you know, he must hate the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, it's the thing. He, he reckons he reckons they're not going to make the playoffs, which means Minnesota <laughs> will beat them, right? Exactly. So, you know, like, I'm really intrigued by both these teams. Obviously, Minnesota, the offensive, you know, people, the people on the offense haven't changed. But week one, it's pretty nice, you know, pretty nice showing in week one that they, what they said they did, they, 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 they basically got Justin Jefferson in good situations and Justin Jefferson absolutely whipped the ass of the Green Bay Packers defense. And if they're going to use him like Cooper Cup or at least have Cooper Cup type elements of Justin Jefferson, he genuinely does look like he might just literally be unstoppable. Um, so that is a very good base in which to build the rest of the offense, even if it's led by Kirk Cousins. Like, you know, get the ball to Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson. It's worked for the Rams. It might work for the for the Minnesota Vikings as well. Dalvin Cook looked, you know, okay, looked pretty good. Adam Thielen had looked okay in Salah as well. So, you know, there's definitely elements to like about that Minnesota team. And the defense showed up and kind of dominated what was, to be fair, a very inexperienced um, Green Bay offense. But... You know, so Minnesota definitely have a shot in this game. I, I definitely can't disagree with picking them um, from Sean. Like, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Um, but Philly, I just, Philly are kind of weird. Like, they're kind of like the advanced, like the evolved Pokemon version of what Atlanta are now doing. This kind of college type ball, running the ball a lot with the dual, um, the dual, ac- the dual action, the RPOs and all that kind of stuff. And Jalen Hirsch is kind of in there getting the ball to guys who are better. And if they cover the guys who are better, that probably means he has a running lane himself and he'll take the 10, 20, 30 yards or the touchdown on, on, the, on the goal line if it's available. He just, yeah, he kind of feels like the modern, you know, tr- best trailer type quarterback. Not a guy who's going to, like if he was putting a bad team, he wouldn't look good. But if you have a really good team and you just need a guy who can you know, get on the trailer and make things like sing and get it to the guys who matter, like AJ Brown. Um, then he's perfectly good at that, and he has enough running talent himself to be a genuine threat. Um, when teams time to key in on those other weapons, so you know Philly, there's a lot of hype around this team. Obviously, with Dallas now looking like in the doldrums, and look at like the Giants and Washington won in Week One, but uh, I don't think either of us want them. None of us want them to be particularly good because they're kind of weird and, and stink a bit. Uh, Philly feel like the one team in the NFC East that could genuinely be a surprise team this year and be a fun team to watch. And I think the defense, I kind of hope it'll step up a bit, but if they kind of have more of these games like they had against Detroit, which are kind of fun, dumb games with lots of points and you know things go bit crazy then i'm on board with having teams like that in the league and i kind of feel like right now both these teams could be like that the defenses definitely have room that they could end up being really good but it's the offenses for me which are kind of geeky interested in why i had this as my pick of the week but uh, for me it's a coin flip game because uh, these are going to be teams who are going to have really interesting ups and downs over the seasons i think they have both taken a major step up from where they were last year yeah yeah like i said i could i could see the minnesota thing um i was i was 50 50 on it because i also like there was a lot of 
very annoying singing Philadelphia fans in the bar on Sunday. Uh, and like we did, we just kind of like, kept looking at each other, going, "This is why everyone hates Philadelphia fans." Um, but yeah, uh, the the problem was with me, I'd have to back her cousins, which I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> Uh, and also because I because because I think Philly are going to make the playoffs. I don't imagine that Minnesota can beat them. Although we have to, we're probably going to have to build some kind of asterisk into it that they can't they can't beat like playoff playoff teams, but like the seventh seed is beatable for them or whatever. Um, I mean, yeah. So I this this is where the, the, my algorithm kind of collapsed. But it was like I hate the Vikings, but also I think this Eagles team is really overrated. So I I don't know who to pick, and I had to default and say, look, I, I got to hold my hand up a little and say, I think this Vikings team is better than I thought it was. Um, that's not saying that they're good, and that's not saying that I'd actually sit down and voluntarily watch them. But, I mean, I I'm did say owned. that I thought they... I'm not owned. You're owned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did say that I thought they were good pieces in terms of the skill positions, but I just, you know when Kurt Cousins is throwing to them, it doesn't really matter who they are. Justin Jefferson obviously looks like he's taken a massive step up this year and, and could be a real machine. They've still got pieces like Cook and, and Thielen around him. The defense looks pretty good. I mean, if Kirk Cousins can, you know, just get out of the way a little bit, which he is pretty good at doing, he's good at being anonymous um, when they need him. So maybe he can be good at being anonymous when they don't really need him. If he can just get out of the way and let the wide receivers do the hard work, this could be a team that, that gets a lot of wins on the board. Um, in terms of the Eagles, I mean, yeah, that they, I mean, the AJ Brown thing that clicked a lot quicker than I thought it would. I mean, I'm still not really sold on Jalen Hurts as a, as a quarterback, but it definitely seems to to be getting in going in places um, quicker than I thought it would. So both these teams are probably better than I thought, but I, I I have to, as much as I hate to say, I think the Vikings are are in a better. They're 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 more ready for the win at this point. I think the Eagles are still a little bit of a work in progress, but the Vikings look ready to, to beat a few teams. Um, but I mean, whether that means they win more than between seven and ten games is is a question I'm not ready to answer quite yet. Like I am intrigued by Minnesota, and I think like if Kirk Cousins can be Jimmy G, but with a better deep ball, and this team can be yeah. roughly a proxy to what they had in the Shanahan San Francisco scheme, then you know Minnesota. You know, there's enough there. Maybe they can be, uh, maybe they can be frisky. Maybe they can be more, certainly more interesting than we're in the kind of ancient zone, like Kubiak type scheme that they had uh, on the yeah. Zimmer regime. You know, if you give, if like, if if you could consider Cousins to not be worse than Jimmy G, then you know, Super Bowl isn't out of the question. But uh, it's a bit early to be going that way, um, <laughs> quite yet. Evil, evil, ward off evil. <laughs> Very good. Um, so yeah, that'll wrap up our picks for this week. Uh, any crack with yourselves, lads? Any plans for the weekend? Uh, not much. The soccer might be back now that they finished morning or whatever. Um, so that would be good. Although it's funny that the, the first English team to be playing since Elizabeth's death is going to be Liverpool tonight, and they're going to boo the shit out of it. Uh, I could just <laughs> sense it already. Do um, which is going to be fun. Do, this is a genuine. Do QPR change their name now or no? <laughs> no, they're named after the area. Okay, uh, fair enough. I think I I would doubt it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything too too wild or crazy. I'll uh, I've got uh, tickets to go see Gareth Brooks on Friday that oh we uh, that we've acquired from uh, from relatives who are not able to make it, so we got them for free. Um, so she is intensifying. Like... Yeah. So go on, so go to Gareth Brooks on Friday, then uh, playing two games with the Dublin Wolves on Saturday. Um, 
so that should be that should be good fun followed by a bit of D and then a i think a, a, a recovery and uh, and chill out and watch the football i think I'm, i think i'm gonna make wings for the first time uh on, on on sunday for this season so uh might make two different types of wings and and chill out and watch that on sunday that'll be my my recovery relaxy day you manage to extract uh, some bootcut jeans and a check shirt for uh, Garth Brooks? I've got a I've got a check shirt, but it's like red and black, so it's a bit more emo than country. But uh, it'll uh, it'll have boot, to do. Bootcut jeans make any shirt look like a country shirt. That's true. <laughs> That's um, I, I I I was thinking it might be worth wandering around town just to try and pick up discarded Stetsons. I was in. Uh, oh, yes. I was I, I was I was in the the, the pub on Sunday watching uh, the football and Jesus Christ the amount of cowboy hats all around the place was just madness. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, at least, I suppose at least one batch of cowboys were happy with the with with, with Sunday anyway. Yeah, nothing too exciting about itself. So I think that's I think this is another bumper podcast for the fans. So uh, we'll, mm. we'll probably try and get this time going forward. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say well, well, the season. Everyone is alive right now. Everyone's dreams can still live, except for Jets fans. Um, so we'll, we're giving you all a fair shot right now. And uh, Cowboys season fans. goes on, <laughs> and Cowboys fans actually. Yeah, and we'll, we, we, yeah, we did, we did declare them dead at the start of the podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, t- we'll take this uh, we'll take this off air afterwards. But yeah, we'll figure out a way. We're probably gonna have to to chop it down a little bit. Uh, everyone likes a nice chunky big pod to start the year, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure pushing up on two hours is sustainable for the entire season. Um, so as, as, because of that, obviously we're not going to go to any questions this week but do keep sending them in and we'll try and start to integrate them back in uh but for now it's bye from myself bye from sean bye, bye from roman it's been all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you next week